Uh, all right, Corey. So we're here at uh, Nantucket and the sunny shores of Nantucket. Yeah, yeah. So this is gonna be awkward because we're gonna share one mic because uh, this whole thing is screwed up. But we're gonna figure it out. Uh, so let's let's start with this. Give us uh, some background on. So you're the CEO and founder of Adored, but uh, a lot of people know where you were at before this, which was Dine. So maybe just go back and kind of rewind, like how long you were there, what you were doing there, and then uh, what made you want to leave and go back into the the startup world again because you're crazy. Yeah, rock on. So uh, I was at Dine for six years. It was an awesome, awesome ride. Love all the people there. Uh, and we powered some of the biggest and best websites on the planet. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to know who you are as a person. And I am an early stage guy. So I love the ride up until you know, 300 so people. Uh, it was just phenomenal. But then you kind of wake up in the morning. You're like, wow, is this really, am I the best person for this job? What were you doing? At, were you on the technical, you're on technical side of things at Dine, right? I was the CTO at okay. Dine. Yep. So I love the, it was very product focused, very technology focused. Uh, and I, just loved meeting with customers uh, and loved just building the team. Uh, but when it got to the point of like, okay, there's better people to do this, and I was feeling the itch to get something new started, well, that just kind of came together at the right time. What was the actual process like from that decision? Like, did you have a bunch of ideas? Like, while you're at Dine and Team starting to grow as a just entrepreneur, do you have all these ideas that keep coming up and you're like, once I find the right one, I'm going to do it? Or was this more like, I'm going to leave and then figure out because I know I want to start something? Honestly, the idea is the least important part. Uh, for me, I have a very, very strict philosophy on this. It is people first, market trends second, idea, tech, product, all that stuff, third. And that's a distant third. So for me, it was always recruiting, who do I want to work with on this? Like, what is that dream team that I want to pull together? And then it was, all right, what are we seeing in the market that looks like wind that we could put behind our sails, right? What is something where we're not going to have to fight upstream, convince every customer, you know, do this, do this, do this, but, you know, we can just make their lives better today. And then that idea will come to us once we start talking to those people. So that's what happened. That's an interesting philosophy because I think, especially today, one of the things that I've been obsessed with lately is uh, every day I go to Product Hunt and I look at new products. And the first or second comment on every single new product is, isn't like, amazing, this is so cool. The first comment is always, well, how is this different than X, right? And it's like, there's, there's just so many products and services in any industry. And so to your point, it's like, get the team and people right and the rest you can figure out. That's right. And who cares if someone else is doing it? Because it, it really matters is the people that you're talking to, do they have that pain so strongly that they're going to take money out of their wallets and put it in yours? Well, that's all I need to hear. All right, so you go and start this company, Adored. Uh, Adored, tell me, tell tell everybody what Adored is, and then uh, I want to transition into. Uh, we're here at Nantucket, and you had a really good uh, session yesterday on pilots and pivots. So maybe give like the background on Adored, what you guys have been doing, and then we can talk about the some of the stuff you mentioned in your session. Yeah, so our core thesis is that marketing has just gotten so impersonal and inauthentic, and we want to bring that authenticity back. Right. Particularly when it comes to like great local places that you know and love, right? Everything from your favorite coffee shop to a ski resort to the bar that has your favorite band playing. Like what's going to help strengthen your relationship with that great authentic experience and bring you back more often? Uh, so that's what we've been exploring for the past year and a half. Uh, there's a lot of technology that we use behind the scenes to make this possible. Things like iBeacon give us a lot of power for how we engage people in the real world. Uh, but at the end of the day, the reason you want our app is because we're the fresh reason for what to do right now of what's going on for lunch, what's going on for happy hour, what's going on for entertainment, what's going on at the ski resort you don't want to miss out on. So that's why people have our app. Can you uh, share, you had an interesting anecdote about like uh, when you first started iBeacon and I'm sure everybody listening knows about iBeacon. Share the story about like how you kind of launched that and then shortly after realized like there was some other stuff happening that was going to prevent you from, from going forward. 
Yeah, so there were two big challenges we ran into with iBeacon, and thankfully this was the focus of our early pilot. Like, our early pilot, the goal was just, does someone give a shit about what we're doing, right? Uh, so Which we, should be everybody's goal. It should be, because why do something that people don't care about, right? So we actually started by not writing software. We started by just having the bare minimum of a product. And I guess actually that, that's in perfect line with your approach, right? Where you didn't have a... You didn't launch to do an idea, right? You had a you had team, you had people, which probably makes it easier if you're not absolutely married to an idea. You're not going to crash and burn based on one single idea. Bingo. That's so important. So what we did is we just built the bare minimum that we could just so that we could manually, behind the scenes, be turning the knobs and levers. And literally, we were the ones typing the messages to you that you'd be receiving in this app. No one knew, uh, but it helped us understand... Does, is this thing valuable? Mm -hmm. Do people care? Mm -hmm. And then only after that did we start solving some of the technical problems. And then with iBeacon in particular, we just ran into two challenges. One, our original value prop was around loyalty and just people were numb to the word loyalty. So we just had to scrap that word entirely and just remove it from our entire... This is, I'm, it's funny. This is something that I'm struggling with as a marketer and we're doing some things that drift and... Uh, it sucks when you're actually doing something and everybody else has ruined that for you because that, that word has just become noise, you know? That's it. It's so meaningless now. If you ask 20 people, what does loyalty mean to you? One person will talk about, oh, my bartender at this place, he kicks ass, so I'm loyal to him. But the other person will say, well, I go there because I get points. Yeah, or I got a punch card at the coffee place. Bingo, right? So it's just meaningless. So that, that wasn't something that we felt we could scale. And then two, the tech behind iBeacon, just Apple and Google uh, for Android have just very different philosophies strategic objectives for their mobile platforms and as such the beacons work very very differently on those two platforms so it was just we could not deliver a kick-ass experience that beacons enabled the beacons had to kind of be more second tier right because if the beacons didn't work properly then that consumer experience just fell on its face you need some fallback that's right all right so you guys gave this session you and uh, david cancel did this session yesterday called pilots and pivots uh Why'd you come up with that topic to talk to this audience about? <laughs> well, one, it's because we're living right now, right? Uh, and if that's a topic you care about, the Nantucket Conference, like shout out to the folks here, this is the place to be because all the people that are going through those trials and tribulations in Boston, New York, you know, anywhere, they're, they're here talking about it, sharing the war stories. So it's just a place to have the conversation. But for me, it's, it's just sharing like the battle scars that I've obtained, you know, that uh, have been reopened recently. <laughs> and I think for David, they have too. It's just the, it's, it's trying to figure out what is the right combination of pain that someone has, your solution to that pain, how you message it, how you price it, package, promote it. Uh, that's everything that we're living. Uh, and I just know everyone here, like if I can save one person from having to form that scar that I did, well, that's success to me. The other thing that you brought up, though, is you like you, it's not like you've pivoted three times, right? It's like you, the, the same core thing is there. And I think that's a big distinction. It's not like every six months you're starting a completely new business. It's just a little shift in, in maybe a new market, maybe a new, a new vertical or even a persona that you're targeting. Yeah, I think the best thing that we got right as a company is if something wasn't working, we just acknowledged it and did something about it. The, the worst part is from an external perspective, you could look at what we were doing and say like, oh, those guys are pivoting again. Yeah. Like they're doing something totally different. But from our perspective, it was the same thesis, the same mission. We're trying to deliver the same value and solve the same problem. We just switched the acquisition strategy or and the value prop that you first encounter with us, right? We just wanted something that was easier and didn't have the baggage of the word loyalty to it. That's why instead of it being rewards focused, it ended up just becoming, well, what's 
fresh right now? Like, what's the reason to go regardless of discounts, price, rewards, all of that stuff? And what we found is that hit emotionally much stronger with people and just became something that was, quite frankly, more interesting. Yeah. So we're, like, we're really happy we made that shift. I just think we could have done a better job of communicating that externally uh, rather than just being like focused on, all right, how do we make tomorrow more successful than today? As a founder and a CEO, is that, do you just have to accept, like, you just have to throw out, like, who cares what other people who are not going to be our customers are thinking about us changing our business constantly and we got to do what's right for us and, and go heads down? Because it, it can be frustrating. Like, you have people that are like, oh, there's Corey. He's doing a business and they've already changed things three times. I mean, it's happened to, you know, us and, and uh, I know a lot of people listening. You just kind of have to swallow that and, and focus on customers. Yeah, I think you said it the right way, but rather than it's what's right for us, it's what's right for that customer. And we know that if we nail that and that's really powerful, that is what's right for us. So that's why I feel like for us, it didn't change, but we were tweaking how someone would encounter what we're doing and how we're messaging it and how likely, how often they would use it. It was just, you know, a different initial value prop. Uh, and so that became like the mantra. Like we're, as long as our customer wins, we win. For sure. I mean, yeah, your original point was you want to get attention and get customers. It's not, you're not just doing it for the, for the hell of it, right? Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in the beginning was uh, people. And I want to just, how do you, like, what is your philosophy for finding people? This is something that comes up. We've done like 60 plus episodes of this podcast with founders and everybody says like people are the most important. Um, how do you actually figure, how do you figure that out? Like, do you have new hires come hang out with the team? Do you run a test? Like, what's your actual process behind the scenes? Well, I guess I have two thoughts on it. One is what I do personally with my time, and the other is what I try to build into the company yeah. as kind of like how we think about it. So with my time personally, I have an afternoon a week that is just solely dedicated to coffee with new people, period. Like, and, I, and I, I'm just very religious about getting out there, meeting folks. And it's, sometimes it pays off immediately. Sometimes it doesn't pay off at all. just leads to something, you know, maybe down the road. Uh, but by doing that, I'm just putting myself in the mindset of, you know, you always have the urgent versus important. You know, people are important. But by the time they're urgent, it's almost too late. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you can make those investments as you go along, it just makes it that much easier when you're like, you want to pull the trigger, right? And, and bring someone on the team. And the second is uh, when I bring someone to the team, as much as possible, I try to scope out some sort of way to work with them in a short-term capacity before there's a mutual long-term commitment, right? Before an offer letter, yeah. right? So whether that's, you know, we bring you in as a contractor for a week to help out, or we bring you in to do like lead a lunch and learn, or we bring you in to like, you know, just, uh, just, just after hours engagements with the team, like something that's going to get you outside of interview thinking yeah. and into, do I want to work with this person every single day? Yeah. And even in like the contract work, it's not always about, I'm assuming you, you, you kind of get past the point where like, you know, the quality of this person's work, otherwise they wouldn't be interviewing. But at this point, you're probably looking for things like, you know, what, what is the process to actually work with this person? Like, do they show their work or do I not hear from them for a week? And then they're like, here's the thing I worked on. And do I love working with them? And do they love working with me? Like, I mean, that th that's the most important piece. And you can't get that in just like a one hour session or like just asking about your background or even listening to stories. You can have like, you can have some conviction, like this person's interesting or this person can help me. But to form that real relationship, like you got to roll up the sleeves and do something together. So like, I try not to focus on things like that are like real 
projects. I mean, they're real in the sense that it's a real problem we're facing, so you get a sense of the challenges we have. Right. But I'm not looking for you know your part-time engagement to move the needle. I'm looking for your part-time engagement to give you conviction like, okay, this team is awesome, and I want to spend the next five years of my life helping make it more yeah. awesome. Cool. Uh, what else? You you do a bunch of other stuff. Are you still like angel investing and and mixing it up in the startup scene, or are you are you really focused on this company now? Uh, I have four children <laughs> that are, that are uh, ages five, four, two, and a twelve week old. Uh, so I have pulled back my time commitments. Is that, isn't that the, isn't that the age? So I, so my wife and I don't have kids yet, but uh, isn't that the age where every every question is why? Uh, yeah, wow. but I love I love that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I love their uh, their curiosity, uh, and I love spending time with them. And it's just you know, there's only so much time in the day, and you just gotta allocate it appropriately. They're very important. So like, I know David and I have a very similar philosophy on this, where you know, when it comes to the weekend, like the phone goes in the drawer, uh, and you just focus on you know recharging and reconnecting and being with family, and then you know you hit it hard Monday morning and you bust ass, and yeah. then the weekend comes again and you focus. Well, it's also harder to get work in order if like you know he he has said like you know priorities are like family me plus friends and then work and uh it's not even that that's the wrong right or wrong priority it's just like you're not going to do it you're not going to show up to work monday and really be ready to get after it if you're thinking about if you just have a million other things going on yeah no any maybe this is something that happens with age or my perspective change with children but you know five ten years ago even like during the dine ride like it was totally possible to you know pull all-nighters uh just work through the weekend just kind of go on these like you know really focused intensive vendors uh and you could be really productive during those periods but i guess my perspective change of it became more about the marathon than the sprint uh, and it's just, uh, I ended up, you know, hurting myself in the long run, you know, through burnout and such. And I think everyone just kind of finds their balance of most sustained productivity, yeah. right? Where not how much can I get done in the next two weeks, but how can I maximize what happens in the next five years? Right. Less few, less like fewer sprints and more of just a, a general, um, you know, you're always working. So you were at Dine, 300-ish people when you left. What what'd you learn like from scaling Dine that you really brought to what you're doing now? Change is the only constant. Like that is the number one lesson I took away from our CEO at Dine, Jeremy Hitchcock, uh, and it was and that came out in like the pilots and pivots conversation yeah. yesterday. When you can embrace that you're probably wrong, but you're not afraid to try things. But when those things look like they're not going to get you where you need to go, you, you have to adjust yeah. very quickly. Uh, and so that became it. The, the irony is, the more often you change, the easier it becomes with time which makes you less afraid to make changes, right? And so if you were to you know, try to put off changes or say, all right, we're going to wait another three months, kick the can down the road, that only becomes harder, right? And then you, your culture only becomes more resistant to that change. But when everyone adopts a mentality of, hey, you know what? What's happening today in any way, shape, or form is going to be different two, three months from now. It's just so much easier to make those decisions early. Uh, that's just better for everyone. That's awesome. All right, last thing. So this is tech in Boston, but I'm an advocate of New England. I'm a New Englander myself. Uh, give me what's the word in uh, in the New Hampshire startup world these days? Well, it's everyone is just trying to get 
into the community and get more activity riled up, you know? And I think that's, that's, that's true in any of the ecosystems that we talk through, right? Uh, the thing I love about New England is we're, over the last 10 years, I really feel like we've broken down some of these geopolitical boundaries that used to be there. Like when I was traveling out west a lot, you know, if you went an hour north or an hour south, you know, from San Francisco, like no one really talked about that. It was drastically different communities, right, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, five, 10 years ago up here, that's exactly what it was, right? It was like this barrier no one shall cross. Uh, but now those barriers have broken down and we're really all rallied together. It's awesome. Cool. All right, good time and we're about to get kicked out. I appreciate it, man. Thanks awesome. for doing it. You got it. Don't forget, you can check out all the previous episodes at techinboston.co. You can also subscribe to the Tech in Boston weekly newsletter there. Get all the links and the news from Boston's top entrepreneurs and investors delivered right to your inbox every Sunday night.